0: This is Peggy Young, and you're listening to Rock at Night. Yeah,
1: yeah, are you ready? <laughs> hey, tonight I'm gonna take you on a little trip We're going down south by the Miami Mississippi I'm gonna take you to a place where nights live again Bring your mother, your brother, and your best friend I'm gonna show you where they dance out Tell you all about Get on down. My name is Anita Stewart and I'm recording for Rocket Night. Uh, yes, she rocks and Anita Stewart Promotions. And we wanna welcome Peggy Young, uh, a great artist out of california she's been doing this for a long time she has a lot of stories to tell her latest album is titled raw and this is with her band um and we'll just go ahead and start from the top i i was listening to this album all week peggy and um love the songs And they're so poignant. And to call this a breakup record is kind of an understatement because there's so much rich material here. What was the catalyst um, for this album and what made this album so much different than the other albums you have made? And those are, am I correct in saying three albums in the past? This This is is, your
0: fourth? This would, actually, thanks for having me. And uh, this would be my fifth record, actually
1: oh and wow okay yes thanks for being here and, in the,
0: and if you... in the last decade i when i once i got started again uh with the well i'd started before that with um my you know bringing music back into my life after my 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 own music and my own playing and singing and so forth um after my kids had um had gotten to a certain age and we I mm. uh, gotten the bridge school going, and I've got you know pretty majorly distracted there with um you know things that just took precedence over making music but I've always loved music, and i um was you know really i'm been very grateful that you know I had the chance when the time was right to you know get back into my music. In a way that um, you know, it's been very satisfying to me to be able to do that. Whether I'm singing backgrounds, whether I'm singing duets, whether I was singing with my women singing group, the Mountainettes, and then finally, you know, starting on my own and forming my own band. Um, so that really only occurred. You know, my own you know career started about ten years ago, but I was working with, uh, play, you know, singing uh, with my ex for, you know, some time before that, quite some time actually. My For the listeners,
1: yeah, for the listeners, it's, it's uh, Peggy Young is the ex-wife of Neil Young, um, who of course was with Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young, and then was on his own and with other bands, Crazy Horse, and uh, a huge catalog of music. Um, And you met him when you were quite young, I would say, what, in your early 20s? Um, I was 22. mm -hmm. um,
0: uh, And uh, he was, so he's 20, he would would have been probably just turned 29. I had just turned 22. So, um, yeah, we met back in 1974. And uh, your listeners can do the math, but I'm very open about my age. I'm 64 Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, very glad that, uh, you know, I've made, you know, made it this far and um, continue, want to continue on for a good long time to to come still. Uh, We didn't marry until 1978. We started living together prior to... To being married, to be married, but you know, we formed a, a friendship over those, from the time we initially met till the time we actually mm-hmm. um, moved to the next level, so to speak.
1: I was reading um, some prior interviews that you did that this really wasn't meant to be um, a record, you know, that spoke about your breakup with Neil, but yet the songs that were so rich, not just the ones that were written by you and members of your band, but um, the cover songs that you did. I mean, there was just a huge catalog of um, music that's specific to pain and loss and and coming out of that pain and loss um, triumphantly, so to speak. Um, like I looked at two of the songs. I've been listening, of course, and two of the songs are some old standards that – we heard on the radio, Heart of the Matter by Don Henley. These boots are made for walking by Nancy Sinatra. And, and this is just some rich lyrics and a mix of formats, which is really nice because I would cross, call it crossover country or alt country, but yet there's blues and rock and jazz within mm. the songs of these albums, this album. And, um, what, um, what did you What did you actually do to select the songs that were on this album? Um, did you pick them based on the lyrics, or how you felt emotionally, or how did that work?
0: Well, uh, with my own songs, I'm a lyrics person. Typically, I, I will typically start with lyrics. In the case of this record, um, I began writing. Uh, very, uh, you know, very quickly when things, you know, in my life were upended and mm-hmm. um, there was just, you know, a lot of emotion around that. Right. And I went into, um, I had no melody at all. I had none. So I just had this stack of words. And, you know, it was very cathartic for me to write initially. And I really couldn't do a lot else. I, I couldn't play my instruments. I couldn't, I couldn't you know, I, I, I went into a depression. So I
1: right. was,
0: um, but I could write. Thank goodness for that outlet that um, I'm grateful I have uh, the ability to write. Some of it was, you know, just kind of blah, you know, just sort of verbal vomit. But some of it was, right. uh, helped, you know, reshaped into songs. So Spooner, and well, my band, and I went out to um, Indio, and we played the Stagecoach Festival in, in I don't know, spring of 2015, I think it was. And, uh, and Spooner and Calvin and I, my keyboard player, Spooner Oldham, Magnificent Spooter Oldham and my lead guitar player, Calvin Holly, um, also just a masterful guitar player. We went back to LA and we just, the three of us just kind of holed up in the hotel there and, and I brought down, you know, my stack of lyrics to, you know, Calvin's room and we just sat there and, you know, shaped songs. And it was really, uh, you know, I, I'd never collaborated at that level before on my songwriting. And mm-hmm. it was really great because I, like I said, I was stuck. I had no melodies, um, just nothing. And so Kelvin might start, you know, picking on, you know, just out uh, of the little chord pattern or whatever. And then I'd be thinking about my lyrics and looking at them. And, you know, well, this one might fit that and da 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 and, Maybe we take this verse from here, but this verse from over there, and, you know, so we just shaped songs, um, and that's how it started, and there's a number of songs that that uh, came from that initial writing session that are recorded, that are mixed, they may even be mastered, but they didn't end up on the record. Because... Right what happened over the kind of the course of making the record is that naturally my emotional state of mind changed. It's still changing. I mean, it's, uh, um, and for the better, I'm happy to say. Um, So as we then began to, as I began to pick covers, uh, I, you know, had picked, uh, let's see, trying to live my life without you. Somebody actually passed that by me. And I'd heard, I looked it up, I saw Bob Seger's version, and I passed that by my bandmate. And my, again, Calvin, who's a solid, you know, Alabama, Muscle Shoals, R&D guy, um, said, oh, that's an original Otis Clay tune. So then I went back to look up Otis Clay doing it, and I like to go back to the source. You know I like to right to, to get
1: writer. to get their take and their um their vibe on how they did the song and mm-hmm. um the feel of it so we work. did um record that
0: mm-hmm. and we went to l a put some horns on it and um so I uh, you know I'm really pleased with the way that turned out, and then as things you know again, this record recording this record probably took about about a year all in with counting the couple of sessions here at my studio on the ranch, going to Nashville, going to L.A. a couple of times for backgrounds, for horns. And uh, my drummer, I can give him full credit, Phil Jones, great, great drummer, played with Tom Petty and others over the years. Uh, he is um, He kept saying... Peggy, you know, we need to do, you know, something like these boots are made for walking, you know, these songs where it's more, you know, you are affirming, you know, that you are strong, that you, you know, are going to get through this. And and, um, so I thought he was kidding for a while until he, printed out the lyrics and handed them to me, (laughs) and I was like, okay, I guess we're going to have to explore this one a little bit, so we looked up the old YouTube video of Nancy Sinatra doing it, it's an actually, it's a Lee Hazelwood song, and it's a really, I encourage you and your listeners to uh, check it out, just because it's a hoot, it's very, very racy for its time, it's very, oh, it was.
1: I actually remember. I'm not too behind you in age, and my and my father owned a radio station, a rock and roll radio station, actually one of the first. And I remember when that became a hit because when I was young, I could I could sing all the hits because I just sang oh, yeah. along. And um, my father was generally the DJ, engineer, sales, advertiser, general manager, everything. So I would hear him on the radio spitting the records and yeah, when that song came out, it was almost at the point where they weren't going to play it because it was so racy. Yeah, the girls
0: are in their very, very short skirts and shaking their yeah. booties and, you know, it's, it's really a, a great period piece. So, you know, I looked at that and said, okay, well, I'm not going to do that, but what, how can we do this? How can we? How can we put our own spin on it? So what you heard is what we, what you hear is what we came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'd start it like sort of kind of, you know, my thinking was to kind of channel the dark, you know, velvet underground, right. you know, the beat scene and the, Early '60s in the village or something. And instead then, of the pop, you know,
1: instead of the pop influence, which really Nancy Sinatra was uh, based in country, but you know it, the song itself got pop exposure. Yeah. You know.
0: And then our
1: so,
0: newest survivor, uh, my new bass player, Shauna Tucker, does that killer bass line, and then we just break into its full-on rock and roll mm-hmm. uh, iteration and. So I'm, I, that, you know, that was one of my favorite songs, um, I, you know, as, as we went through, I was just, you know, okay, that's my current favorite, love that one. <laughs> and so, and then I had considered doing, um, uh, The Heart of the Matter, um, Don Henry's written so many lovely, fine songs, but that one was just a particular standout to me. Right. Now if I'm going to do a cover, I really, first of all, need to... Must get you know I want to feel like I love this song so much I wish I'd written it it's just killer you know it's and also to not try to just replicate what's already been done mm-hmm. so um, we tried that one so I was gonna actually put that on my previous record "A lonely in a crowded room but didn't right. get to it uh, on that in that recording uh, project so um, it had been lingering in my mind and it turned out that it was kind of the perfect song and then it turned out to be the perfect song for well, and end the record. So, you know, it's really the record takes you on a journey, it takes you on an arc. Mm-hmm. And so what we did with that song was, you know, we tried it as a full band, but it was hard to get away from the version that had been done. Right. So then Calvin and I just sat, um, and worked up just, he plays a very, you know, just a very stripped down version, uh, where he plays guitar and I sing and that's it. And it's, um, you know, uh, I'm, you know, we're very pleased with the way it starts out, uh, where, 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 you know, what we got at the, at the end of the day with that song, uh, so you know the record kind of starts out on one note, but as you go on the journey, and to me, there's you know I'm old school, I guess, in that I like an album and an album, they call them album, to have
1: you know thematic uh,
0: continuity. So like a story, like
1: it's telling a story. You're with telling the song. a story.
0: Yeah. And I believe that's the songwriter and the singers um purpose is to kind of tell a story that's got a beginning a middle and an end i mean i wouldn't say the heart of the matter is the end of the story but it's the end of this this part of my my journey and just right. you know clearly is the most autobiographical record i've ever done um but i like and it to bears your soul
1: it there bear- you know as listening to it that was the first thing that i I thought of was wow, it's really burying your soul, making it wide open for everybody to hear. And yeah, the first
0: time I played um, the the songs in front of people, which was just recently at South by Southwest, I was like, oh well, isn't this a different experience than it was, you know, recording these in the in the cocoon of my studio and being with my bandmates and. You know, it's it is. I mean, I felt pretty naked up there, and it's a little unnerving because it is so personal. But um now, you know,
1: to turn to turn on another note, uh, a lot of people don't know that you're also, in addition to being um, a prolific musical artist, um, that you are also a philanthropist, and you have um, founded, co-founded the Bridge School. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about how that happened? And um, I know that it's, it's just got fabulous um, write-ups, and then you have musical benefits and tributes also at the school. Um, and our listeners, well, yes, I'm sure, will hear about that.
0: The, 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 my impetus for getting involved with, with um, creating a new educational program for children with severe physical and speech impairments is that I, you know, have a son who has cerebral palsy and and fits that profile. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: when I went to enroll him in school, uh, I looked around at, you know, what was in the private sector, what was in the non-public sector, what was in the public sector, and I found nothing in the private sector. Nothing wow. really appropriate to him. Now, mind you, this is back in the early '80s. Back in, uh, uh, you know, when technology wasn't even, you know, commonplace in the classrooms yet, and things of that nature. Some of the really progressive schools were starting to introduce it. But um, uh, so I enrolled him in the public sector, and um, he was placed in special education classrooms, and it. That went on for a couple years, three years, maybe, maybe a little, yeah, about three years. And I just could see the writing on the wall that his potential was not going to be realized because right. of his inability to communicate effectively, because of his inability to control his motor movements. Um, he was going to, you know, he was he was being underestimated um, as far as his potential. So I just was in the hospital one day with, with him, he had a surgery, and I uh, saw this gentleman walking through the, past the plexiglass windows of his room, down the hallway, and I'd heard about this fellow, Jim Forderer, who'd started a writing uh, program, recreational riding program uh, for children with, with um, disabilities. And so I just, he had, this, he had this big belt buckle on that said, Jim. And I was like, well, hmm. So I just walked out and introduced myself. I said, would you be Jim Porter? And he said, well, yes, I am. And so that's how, and then he had a son who had also had surgery, um, who was became one of our other founding students. So the two of us got together and just kind of began to brainstorm what what our, you know, a pilot project proposal for an ele- you know, for a new educational program,
1: right. uh,
0: which was different than what we'd been able to find so far. We ended up, um, ultimately, I, I, I had also reached out to a professional that I'd heard about. Parent Underground is quite, uh, there's a good, strong network. And I'd heard about this woman who was doing assessments on Children like my child, like Jim's children, and his children. He he adopted several children. Um, and so she already had been consulted, contact. You know, to, I made contact with her to come do an assessment on on our son, and then told her what Jim and I were, you know, sort of dreaming up. She was finding the same thing as she went around to different educational settings uh, around the Bay Area. And so the three of us teamed up and then uh, we had this big idea and then we needed to raise some money and my, um, and Neil and I decided, you know, to do a concert that would help raise some money and bring in, you know, a bunch of our friends and, or, and, um, he, I've got to give Neil the credit for coming up with the acoustic format. That's the, the nature of the bridge uh, benefit concerts is it's all acoustic. So, right. you, you know, we've had artists that are, many artists that are clearly not known for acoustic performances such as Metallica, The Who, Red Hot Chili, Death Green Day, so forth. And, you know, we just had our 30th anniversary concert. So, We we raised money. We started the school in 1987, and the program has just now has grown to you know a place where we're we're having a global impact. And there's so many ways people can learn more about what we're doing by going to the website bridgeschool.org. And um, you know, I'm just really. Proud to be affiliated with the program, and it's a really top notch quality program that changes lives.
1: Well, I heard about the Bridge School through some of the videos that were on YouTube of per- different performances, and I think one of the first ones I saw was with Arcade Fire, and they're definitely not known for <laughs> being That's acoustic. For sure. And, they and they're fantastic. Um, um, they're fantastic uh, artists as well. So, um, but they are known for their charity work too. They've done a lot of uh, charities and 501c3s, and um, they're big on helping Haiti. So, to see them at the Bridge School was not unusual. I started to look it up at that point, and and was seeing all the great work that was being done through it. Are you uh, contemplating in the future different locations for the school? And where is the current location? You know, early on we thought
0: about how we knew that only a small number of the children who would benefit from the work we were doing at Bridge would actually be able to get to our physical site in Hillsborough, California. So we looked at a number of different possibilities, in, 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 including some sort of a franchising, um some kind of a, you know, Waldorf school model or Montessori school model or that kind of thing. Um, What we've ended up doing uh, is um, doing a lot of outreach, and our web uh, is uh, one of our primary uh, sources for information and, you know, uh, how do you address the needs of a child that may come into your general education Setting, for instance, and right. how do you modify curriculum and adapt curriculum and enable their participation because that's really what Bridge School is all about is, um, you know, social integration is great, but it's not ultimately as meaningful as, as, you know, really truly participating in your education and enabling learning, which is really the point of education, to begin with, so that you know, children can grow up into adults with with the abilities to have a independent as independent as possible, uh, fulfilling, meaningful, participatory life. Mm-hmm. If, you know, and again, we've got the International Teacher in Residence program, where we bring over bring a teacher from a developing country, or a professional, not always a teacher, and say live and work alongside our staff for a period of um about six months and audit you know classes and go to conferences uh and return to their home countries with a body of knowledge that they can then begin to implement um you know change in their own educational settings and hopefully that ripple effect you know goes beyond we just hosted our Sixth annual um, international conference, which we do every other year, and uh, we through our transition program because we are a transitionary program, educational program by design. So the objective is for the student to come to Bridge, spend on average three to five years, return to their home school districts, typically to a general education environment, but not exclusively. And then by virtue of the transition program, once again, you've got this ripple effect. You're increasing the body of knowledge of the receiving team. How to address the needs of a student with this profile should the next one come along in their classroom. Right. Ultimately, the, the, the ultimate side indicator of our success would be that bridge would no longer need to be because people be doing such a, you know, they'd have the skills and the ability. It's not the lack of willingness. It's just, um, you know, these students can be um, difficult to assess and to, you know, sort of figure out what their, what their, um, their means of that, you know, all the technical parts of how are they going to, what's the right device for them? How are they going to access it? And so forth and so on. So, uh, what happens through our transition program is that body of knowledge gets increased. So, you know, like I say, the true measure of our success would be the bridge didn't even need to be anymore. Um, right, was quite, right. quite a ways off from that, but we have over 30 years now, we've really, um, made a significant impact. I, I really believe that, uh, well, what's amazing you know, about we still got the, a lot of work to do but Yeah. We, we,
1: what's amazing about the bridge school is you saw that there was something not available and, and that there was a need for it and you went ahead and created a way for that need to be to be fulfilled so that's an amazing thing I just think it's a miracle that the bridge school exists and I would like to see other people I mean I see a lot of other artists doing things and I'm especially also appreciative of, like, Michael Franti's Do It for the Love. So there's all these different things that are just doing great things for the world and for our communities. I think that's to be commended. Um, let me ask you this question, and this kind of delves into the personal. Um, when um, you and Neil split up, how did having a differently abled child create um, a level, uh, maybe a level of difficulty for you in moving forward. Did anything change or was was there anything more difficult or how did that work out for you?
0: Well, you're right. Um, That is getting into the personal and I've always been fiercely protective of my family's privacy. So um, I think it's probably sufficient to say that um he he felt the absence of his father um acutely mm. initially. but mm. they you know they have a relationship now that's different um than it was, but it's a relationship and then loves to talk to his dad and loves to visit his dad and loves to go on the road with his dad and so um you no know, it's different, but it's um That's certainly, um, something that, uh, I think, uh,
1: uh, I think that happens a lot. And since divorce is so much prevalent now, um, it's, it's, it's difficult for the children. I think a lot of people do forget that, um, children really suffer just as much as the, the couple that's going through it, you know, but, um, what comes next for you? What, is, what are some things that are on your bucket list for like the next five years? Um, what do you see yourself doing in the realm of music and just maybe other things that you want to get accomplished?
0: Well, um, gosh, I uh, am right now, you know, very focused on my record and mm-hmm. getting it out there in front of people. So they can hear it and hopefully, you know, respond to it. As I said, I, I, even though it's, it's based on my own journey, and, um, I believe mine is not, you know, a singular experience. I know that this is, divorce happens, loss happens, grief happens, and late in life divorce happens. And I hope that my message can be, that people, you know, um, you know, can get through it and get on with it. Um, and, uh, these songs, you know, um, honestly, I also feel that they could be sung by either party in a, in a, you know, um, you know, in a, in a divorce situation in particular, um, mm-hmm. you know, a divorce is, is a, a complicated matter. And, um, so I, I, you know, my, I think my, my overarching message, I hope as you go through the, the arc of the record is that, yeah, you know, ends on a note of, you know, forgiveness and, and, you know, working towards acceptance through forgiveness. And, and forgiveness, forgiveness and moving, itself, moving forgiveness forward. Forgiveness for yeah. others, forgiveness in general.
1: Right. Just, you know. Right. And, um, well, I want to thank you, Peggy, for um, being with us here at Rocket Night. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And I want to let people know you can go to find out more about the album and um, Peggy's um, other albums. You can go to PeggyYoung.com. Um, this is Peggy Young and the Survivors. Uh the latest album that dropped in February was called uh Named Raw. And you can also go to the Bridge School to find out more, bridgeschool.org, which has an amazing amount of information on the website itself. And Peggy, any parting thoughts, um, uh words of wisdom to anybody else that might be going through love and loss at this time? You
0: know, the future is a big place and there certainly is um, uh, a lot of room for, you know, optimism and picking yourself up and getting on with it and um, just surround yourself with a lot of people who love you and care about you and that helped me tremendously get through the more most difficult times.
1: Well, Peggy, thank you so much for being with us at Rock at Night. And you have a great day. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye for now. You're listening to Rock at Night. Thanks for the intro, Melody. It's called Get On Down by Billy Bass Alford. Thanks.